Before we start today's episode of The Square, I wanted to give you a little bit of context for what we're going to be talking about. Today's topic um, is going to be the Curiosity Report, which is one of several annual reports that Hugo puts out. Now, Hugo is the research and development arm of Corgan, and they really look at emerging technology trends and, and human behavior shifts. And the Curiosity Report was looking at, at wellness trends. And, and what's interesting is that was happening before the COVID crisis. Since the COVID crisis, these technology trends really haven't changed that much. They've just accelerated. Uh, and I'm talking about things like virtual spaces and, and touchless technologies um, amongst a host of others. If you're looking at this on the video or the audio podcast, in the description, we're going to put a link to the Curiosity Report in its entirety for you to be able to, to view and to, to kind of absorb. Also later this month, we'll update those descriptions with the COVID best practices report that Hugo's going to be coming out with. So I encourage you to take a look at those and let's get today's episode started. Welcome to this episode of The Square. Today we have Tanya White, who is a design researcher, and Samantha Flores, who's the director of Hugo. Now, Hugo is the research and development arm of Corgan, and they are publishing the Curiosity Report, which is an annual report that's a deep dive into emerging technologies and, and really understanding where we're going with human behavior. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. Samantha, tell me a little bit about the Curiosity Report. It's a book full of ideas. Some are fantastic. Some are like extremely technical. Um, some of them almost seem straight out of science fiction. Where did the idea for this report come from? Well, really, for the last few years with each of our sectors, we've been looking at emerging technologies and how they're fitting in to human behaviors within our spaces that we design. And, you know, we've been looking at these in the commercial area, in the aviation team, and we've never looked at it um, with all sectors involved. And we really wanted to get that cross-collaboration going so that we could really understand where those technologies are overlapping, how human behaviors are changing from one building to another, and really get that conversation of curiosity moving. Got it. Okay. Um, now, you, you guys obviously have a passion for for this kind of, of research and, and, and information. Uh, tell me a little bit about where that comes from. <laughs> You know, um, I, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. We are just really curious people. Um, Tanya and I sit right next to each other in the office, and we chat about going to space all day. We chat about what deep sea exploration might mean for architecture. And then we also ask each other, you know, you know, when you were walking down the street, did you feel a breeze? Did you smell a flower? You know, what, what were you experiencing? So we're really kind of talking all day long about different types of experiences. And we're just interested in understanding the psychology behind it and interested in understanding how we can design with those things in mind as tools to enhance our experiences. Tanya, where do you think your curiosity comes from? I would say maybe part of it is from my childhood um, my dad was a big kind of NASA and sci-fi nerd and so grew up just kind of watching those movies and talking about it and I think it's just stuck with me as I've gotten older and I just but I don't like doing it by myself I really enjoy doing it like sitting next to Sam or with friends just that um, person to person idea sharing is is really fantastic and important to me. 
Well, some of the ideas in this book are definitely right out of sci-fi. So it seems like kind of the overarching um, organization for this is dark technologies, D-A-R-K, D-A-R-Q. So tell me, tell me what dark technologies is. So dark technologies is really just an acronym for distributed ledger, artificial intelligence, extended realities, and quantum computing. And these are all the technologies that we're moving into. Some of them we already use on a day-to-day business um, aspect, but some of them we don't really know that much about because they're very much um, in development. So quantum computing is one of those where, you know, there are a lot of possibilities with what it can do, um, but we don't really know so much about it. And so our job is to look at these technologies and really try to understand what it's going to do for architecture, how it's going to change the way that we design, how we work day to day, and then what it means for the end user at the end of the day. So yeah, I think it was about last summer, we were doing some research on emerging technologies and we read a publication from Accenture that was discussing this post-digital era, um, which is what we're in now, which means being digital is no longer an option. It's just the way we do life. And that's because we've become very reliant on these four technologies that they refer to as SMAC. So social, mobile, analytics, and cloud. And we all intuitively understand what those are because they've become a part of our everyday lives. And that now we're transitioning into a post-digital era that is being ushered in through these dark technologies um, that, you know, at some point, maybe five, ten years, who really knows, those dark technologies will more than likely become a part of our everyday life the same way we use Facebook and cloud computing and all of these other technologies. So tell me a little bit about distributed ledger technology. What, what is that? You want to take that one? Yeah. Um, so a lot of these technologies are rooted in computer science, which makes them, one, abstract, um, and two, a little bit outside of our specialty because we're coming from the field of design. And so we try to explain all of these um, at their kind of 30,000 foot level so that we could then start diving in a little bit deeper. So I'll just kind of start off with that. I am by no means a computer scientist. Um, but essentially, a distributed ledger is a way of managing records, right? We used to manage records um, on sheets of papyrus and then, you know, 2,000 years later, we got Excel spreadsheets, and there are all these other ways that we record uh, data like um, transactions, uh, things like voting, birth certificates, et cetera, um, and a distributed ledger technology is a way of managing that data <clears throat> Excuse me, in a way that is a little bit more, I would say, it, it doesn't rely on a third party. So right now, if I go to the bank, you know, that bank is operating as my third-party broker that is facilitating a, a transaction, and there's usually a fee associated with it. Um, a distributed ledger technology operates as an algorithm where two parties um, kind of buy in to the algorithm, and there are a set of kind of agreements that are being made, um, and you kind of flush out that third-party um, system like a bank. Okay. So... Um AI is obviously something we've heard a lot about for several years. Sam, tell me a little bit about um, maybe some of the ideas in the Curiosity Report about where AI is going to be in five to 10 years. 
Yeah, so out of the dark technologies, I think AI is the one that's going to disappear into our lives really, really quickly. And by that, I mean, we're going to be using it without even thinking about it. But when it's not there, when it's not available to us, we won't know what to do. Um, sort of like with the telephone and with the computer, <laughs> with Google. So um, with AI, you know, what we do is we're training computers um, through machine learning to help us understand and augment our own processes. And, you know, one of my favorite favorite ways to think about that is the reCAPTCHA whenever you're going onto a website and ask you if you're a robot and please identify these pictures. Um, that reCAPTCHA is really, you know, when it's asking, you know, it, show me all the stop signs. It's helping us to teach autonomous vehicles. And that is so, so awesome to me because we're using our own human intelligence to then teach uh, machines human intelligence so that they can augment all of our processes. So one way that um, artificial intelligence is actually gonna help within the architectural realm as we look at it through the construction process, um, part of that means that we're teaching robotics, uh, human intelligence, to take on the tasks that are a little bit more um, mundane uh, so, that, so that us humans and us designers can take on those tasks that are more fit for us, that are designing, that are empathetic, that are um, you know, catering to the user and the end user at the end um, and focusing on human-centered design. So some of those may be you know, asking robotics to take on um, putting light switches in the walls and outlets in the walls and then asking the designers to redefine the space to make sure that we're creating spaces that are physically and um, physically and, and uh, sorry, that are enhancing our well-being. Okay, got it. Um, with extended realities, obviously, I, I, I saw a lot about VR and AR, um, but there seems to be, I mean, that's obviously here already. What does that look like in the future? So there are a lot of technologies at work with extended realities, and we're all pretty familiar with how some of them work. Um, a lot of us have probably jumped into a virtual reality session. Some of us have probably used the maps on Google Maps with the AR um, and augmented reality experiences. Um, one way that we're looking at how this is gonna actually change the architecture space and the way that we design is through our education um, facilities. We see that you know this really gives teachers an opportunity to take their, their children on um, field trips that maybe they wouldn't have able, been able to before because of budget reasons or um, because you know taking kids, there's, there's a lot of legality with that. Um, one example of an extended reality experience that has always just kind of stuck with me is um, th there was a school, a class that was able to jump into a virtual reality experience and have a haptic experience with it. So they were able to go to the bombings in Syria and really ex explore on the ground what it felt like to be some of the refugees that had to leave Syria. And I think that it was really impactful for the students because they weren't just reading about it in a book. They weren't you know, trying to create um, those experiences in their minds that they have no context for they were actually there and able to experience it. And when they reached out for someone, um, there was a, you know, a person that would grab their hand when, and they got to help them. So I think that it's really encouraging students to learn in a different way. And we are learning how to create the environments that can support that new method of learning. And being, being able to use technology like that to create empathy, especially in kids, that's, that's an awesome, awesome thing. All right. And then last but not least is quantum computing, which 
Um, I, I, I understand is, is a large amount of data um, being computed in a, in a re relatively extremely quick amount of time. Um, how does that have an effect on um, how we design buildings for humans? Do you want to take this one, Tanya? <laughs> I've taken the others. <laughs> I would take the explanation of quantum. I think that's kind of been the, the, the mode that we worked in. Um, so I don't know if, do you want to take that one and I can, or I can describe it first and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah I can talk about how it applies to architecture. Okay, perfect. So um, quantum computing is definitely the most philosophically challenging of the dark technologies to understand. Um, the, the best way that I've heard it explained and that we went and explained it in the curiosity report for y'all is imagine a penny and you flip it and you get a heads or a tail. And that would represent your classical computing, which operates in ones and zeros, which maybe y'all have heard about, kind of making fun of you know, computer cultures like ones and zeros. Those are called the bits, right? And it literally is translating information and in, in a language of ones and zeros. If you take that penny and then you spin it and it just never falls and it's continuously exploring both heads and tails at the same time. It never, it never has to settle on something. Um, it means that it can explore options rapidly, just exponentially. Like we can't even really wrap our brains around this because we haven't seen it on the earth yet. Um, so yeah, what would take maybe a classical computer like millions of years to process, a quantum computer can do it much faster. So, so wait, let me ask a quick question, Sam, before you jump in on the defective design. Um, with it being that conceptual, is there a practicality to it? Like, is there, when will there be a quantum computer? Yeah, well, there already are quantum computers. So there is kind of a quantum battle going on right now between IBM, Google, Microsoft, Honeywell just got in the game recently. Um, there have been some pretty remarkable advancements just in the last six months. Uh, the U.S. government it has just launched a quantum initiative, um, and a lot of um, Fortune 500 companies are investing in quantum computing. One interesting way that companies can kind of dabble in quantum without investing in the hard infrastructure and science uh, kind of labor behind quantum computing is quantum computing as a service. So you don't have to, you know, have the quantum computer on site and kind of launch a quantum R&D arm. You can just pay for it as a service. And that's what IBM Q Network is about. And there's companies like, um, well, Delta just joined um, and a lot of uh, fintech uh, companies. There's a lot. It's in the curiosity report. <laughs> Fair enough. So, so Sam, tell me a little bit of how this affects how we design buildings for people. Yeah, so there's two really good examples that I like to lean on whenever I'm trying to describe how quantum compute will um, not only change the way that we work, but change the types of buildings that we design. And so the first one is a little bit harder to get your uh, mind around, so I'll, I'll start there. Um, we have have been looking at a couple of different ways that quantum computing can change the molecular structure of carbon dioxide. And so what that means is um, it, can, it can 
it can change the structure so that it removes it basically from the earth or from the air. It basically sucks it out of the air. And you can do this right now. You can change that molecular structure, but you can only do that one atom at a time. Um, with quantum computing, you can do that across a lot of different space. And so the theory right now is that architectural facades will be designed with quantum computing so that our facades are literally cleaning the air for us um, and helping us to reverse back time so that we're working past um, the effects that we've been seeing with climate change. And so that's one theory that we're able to do. We know that we can do it right now. We know that we can do it at a very, very slow pace and a very, very small scale. Um, but we also know that we have to have quantum computing in order to achieve that goal. The second way that quantum computing, and probably one of my favorite ways that quantum computing is um, changing the way that we design, is you know there's this example called parallel reality um, that IBM and Delta Airlines are working on together at Atlanta Airport. And what they've created is this um, digital screen or a digital experience that allows multiple people to be looking at this same screen but only seeing their own information. So Brandon, you and I, and Tanya, we could be standing side by side looking at one screen and Tanya will only see um, her flight information, I will only see mine, Brandon, you will only see yours. And the interesting thing is, say Tanya's first language is Spanish, say yours is Japanese, and mine's English. Everything will be read to me in English, everything will be read to you in Japanese, everything will be read to Tanya in Spanish, because those are our preferred languages. Now, it does require quantum computing to do that. Their first models are um, have been launched. They were launched this year um, for the Atlanta airport. I want, to, I want to also expand on that, that once they're able to put that into motion in a very, very applicable way, we're gonna start seeing that everywhere. We're gonna start seeing our own information from our phones fed to us through these digital experiences and these digital, digital atmospheres. And so it may even give us the opportunity to kind of put down the screen and access our information from surfaces all around the world instead of having our mobile devices. And that's what quantum can do for us. And if I'll just add in really quick, because I think the example Sam gave is a great one that demonstrates how these dark technologies, well, and, and lots of other technologies, they work together in systems. They don't just work by themselves, but a quantum computing, you know, imagine, um, you know, an AI is getting, the, its fuel is its data and it's getting all of its data, but it takes 20 years to process all that data. Well, when you have something like quantum behind it, all of a sudden you are supercharging AI's ability to process data at a much faster, more real-time speed. Absolutely. And then... If just if you if you think about adding quantum computing to extended realities, I mean that's even a, a different quantum leap. <laughs> that's where you start thinking about um, how haptic can actually feel real, and how when we get into these extended realities, um, we're actually to, able to turn the corner. We're actually able to hug someone. We're actually able to open a door, and it all feels so real because of quantum computing and and artificial intelligence and extended realities all coming together. So one of the things that I loved about the Curiosity Report was, A, how beautiful it was. I mean, the pictures and the graphics are gorgeous. Um, but I, I know that there were, that throughout it, there's so many really specific and kind of detailed examples of all these different technologies. If you had to pick one 
project or, or element of the Curiosity Report, I know they're all your babies, <laughs> but if you each had to pick one that was kind of your favorite, what would it be? Tanya, you go first. I have two. <laughs> okay. All right. Give us both. Okay. I love the Quantum Data Center. I just think, one, the visual really captures it's not just a quantum computer. There's some reality and research embedded in there that a quantum data center will work in tandem with a traditional data center because that's how it works. And it really comes down to the fact that, you know, we go back to these ones and zeros. A classical server is, is prepared to be very accurate because it only knows ones and zeros. And then a quantum is kind of all over the place. And, and from what I understand, uh, you know, the traditional data um, processing is kind of counterbalancing some of these more error-prone um, quantum results because quantum is kind of all over the place. And so I just like that, one, it looked just fast, like fantastic, but it was also rooted in a, in a fundamental understanding of these two types of computing. And is that what going to be exactly what a quantum computer, uh, sorry, a quantum data center looks like? We don't really know, but we went for it. And just shout out to the data centers team. You all did a really great job. Um, I also really loved the, um, the AI for commercial software because I felt like that was just something that every sector could use just to be able to run through literally hundreds of options really quickly with real-world data, um, also being something that our clients would probably really appreciate as well. All right, Sam. Well, I mean, all of the, you know, throughout the Curiosity Report, we did these Can You Imagine Ifs with each of our teams, and all of them had some incredible insights. And I, I hope that they, you know, the people that worked on these projects walked, walked away feeling like they were able to just explore the ends of the earth. Um, speaking of, my favorite one is probably commercial space travel um, and looking at spaceports. And, you know, really, I just, I get the chills talking about it because when we did the research, we found that commercial space travel is not that far away. Um, we also found that it's, we have, we have, several throughout the U.S. that are available for commercial space travel. We just don't do it yet. We send cargo mostly to the space station. And so our spaceports team really took a deep dive, a deep dive into what it would take to make these spaceports feasible for commercial space travel. How long is that, is that time until we get there? Um, and then also they took a look at, you know, quarantine facilities from, you know, going into space and then coming back from space. And that's something that we're taking into our designs today. We're learning so much from what we did with the Spaceports uh, research, and we're able to take it into the research that we're looking at today with, um, you know, looking at airports post-COVID. And so I think that there was a depth of knowledge that was reached in that project that was just incredible to the surface. Um, it works with all of, you know, our market sectors at Corgan. Uh, you know, we, we are looking at educational facilities within the Spaceports realm. We're also looking at, you know, healthcare facilities in a completely different way. And so I just, I really appreciated the depth of knowledge that was brought to the table with that project. And also they just kind of took it, you know, to another level with working in space. <laughs> 
Thank you both for joining us in this episode of The Square. If you're listening in the audio-only version, you won't have been able to see some of the uh, the images that we put up uh, to show that we got out of the Curiosity Report. Um, but make sure you check out the video version as well as um, we will put a link to where you can access the uh, Curiosity Report and, and read for yourself about some of these incredible technologies. Thanks again to both of you, and uh, we'll see you next time on The Square. Thank you.